Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today with V, formerly a Eve Ensler. She is a Tony Award-winning playwright, author, former activist. Her groundbreaking The Vagina Monologues has been published in 48 languages and performed in more than 140 countries. Founder of V-Day and One Billion Rising and co-founder of City of Joy, she joins us to talk about her latest work, Reckoning. V, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thrilled to be with you. My first question for you is, what is your definition of feminism? Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I have so many and they're always transmuting and evolving. But I, w- I would say my most recent one is being able to know your desires, fulfill your desires without obstacles, not be guilty about your desires, not erase your desires because somebody else doesn't feel you are entitled to them, to live a life where you are fully embodied where you can go anywhere, walk anywhere, wear anything, be anything without threat, where you have rights and equal rights to education, to employment, to do whatever you want to do, become whatever you want to be without threat to your body, without without being invaded in any way sexually. And I think for me, it's really about joining into a collective solidarity with women, and, and I use women in an inclusive and expansive way everywhere in this world to be joined in an understanding. And by the way, and men, because I think the truth of the matter is everybody can be a feminist. It's, it's, it's basically the unraveling of a patriarchal system that has been here for thousands of years, but it wasn't always here and it doesn't have to always remain, but a system of hierarchy, a system of dominance, a system that believes some people are more important than other people and other people need to be diminished and controlled and extracted and exploited. And to me, feminism is really the dismantling of that system. Yes. And what is reckoning about? Well, You know, it's really about reckoning. And it happened during COVID because suddenly, I think all of us, those of us who were privileged enough and didn't have frontline jobs and weren't out there nursing or, you know, in restaurants or in shops or in in places which were so generously serving and taking care of the rest of us. But those of us who had jobs where we could work from home and weren't out, you know, we were kind of locked in. And not just in our homes, but in ourselves, right? Deep inside ourselves where we were forced to confront, at least I was, I can say. And I know a lot of other, you know, to confront a lot of things about our personal past, our political past, our collective, our collective way of being in this world that was being greatly questioned and challenged. We were living through a really intense reckoning politically with 
the death and the murder of George Floyd, which was that diabolical, you know, eight minutes in front of the world where it could no longer be denied what was happening to black bodies by police in this culture. We were seeing people literally who were stopping breathing everywhere around us where breath was, you know, literally not only leaving George Floyd's body, but millions of people's bodies where fires were breaking out all over the country and birds were falling from the sky because they weren't breathing. I mean, it was a time of breathlessness, but it was not the beginning of that breathlessness. America has always been, like I say in my book, like a convict on the run. It's always running away from its history, running away from its sins, running away from its debts, running away from its reckoning. And for me, this period was really about how are we going to reckon with our history, with the history of, of the, the insane genocide of the indigenous people, 400 years of slavery and Jim Crow and mass incarceration and white supremacy, you know, a country that's been driven by greed and transaction and, and built on the enslaving of bodies for profit, you know. And I think we were really forced to see how we've exploited and destroyed and extracted the earth and how we've abused and refused women, their basic rights and denied and prevented the ex freedom and expansion of gender diversity. All these things were happening during COVID. And for me, I began to look at my work over the last 45 years and, and really see how many repeating themes there were, right? How many things just kept happening over and over again and how how laced, how never separated the personal in my life has been from the political. Like I've never seen myself separated from that, from those systems, from that collective. We're still reckoning with what we've been dealing with two years later. And sure. while the pandemic has subsided, however you define that, you know, coming out of that time and understanding, okay, we should have had the space to grieve. We still need the space to grieve, whatever that looks like. There was so many, it was an opportunity for us to really understand how we can proceed. So true. And I think there are a, a, a section of people who have proceeded to do that, but I think there are many people who are actually pushing back against that and who we see now with the January 6th insurrection and on and on, the rise of this incredible um, right wing, white supremacy, anti-Black, anti-women, anti-Jewish, anti-LGBTQ push. We, we're seeing like a pushback against critical race theory, against mm -hmm. anti-racing teachings, banning books, all kinds of things, because the reckoning was really beginning to happen. It was really unearthed. And I think there are forces that are really terrified of the future of this country, which is not going to be a white country anymore. The, the, whites will not be the majority population anymore. And I think there are many people who are really scared of losing their power, yeah. of losing dominance, of losing, rather than understanding that this can only be the best thing that could happen to us, right? That is, it's like, finally, it's here, right? And I think, I think, what I, I hope this book does is continue this reckoning, or let's put it this way, deepen the reckoning, because we still haven't come to reparations, apologies, any kind of any kind of true reckoning that would, you know, have a have a an 
on racism, an impact on white supremacy, an impact on police brutality, an impact on women's rights, you know, and the and and the eroding of them over this over the last, particularly with everything that happened pushing back abortion rights, you know. So I think I think my favorite word right now is reckoning. Reckoning yes. is a very hard thing to do. It's accountability, it's responsibility, it's opening yourself to where you have not been right, where you have not behaved in ways, maybe you didn't have the consciousness to understand it then, but once you do have the consciousness, then you are responsible for that reckoning. You know, I don't believe in canceling people. I don't mm -hmm. believe in tossing people aside. I believe we all have the capacity to face our demons, enter our wounds and climb through to the other side. And, and that's what, that's what these days are calling for. That is what's required. Most of your writing is marked by years, whether in the late 80s or to present. How have you grown as a storyteller? Mm, that's a good question. I think my ability to listen has grown. I think when I started out, I heard more of me in everything. And now I think I hear more of, of other people for just who they are, right? And so my stories, I think, are, are, have changed in that they're more dimensional, they're fuller, they're, I think they're richer. The stories I choose to tell, you know, are, are always changing, right? And, you know, whether it's right now I'm working on a musical about a town called Outskirtia where the teenagers are compelling the town, the village to really wake up and care about the earth, even though the town is resisting it because it's not profitable. And, you know, and I'm working on another piece, which is grew out of, of the pandemic, you know, which is three pieces, but one is just two people who are having a very different take on one is believing the world is ending and one is not believing the world is ending mm -hmm. and best friends. Do you know what I mean? And another piece is about a nurse who is in a quandary, who's treating a patient who, who didn't, wear masks and didn't get vaccinated and now they're dying and now she's risking her life and the life of the family for somebody who didn't care about following, you know, suggestions of keeping. So should she risk her life for that person mm -hmm. and asking those questions? So I think, I think the stories I'm interested in are the stories that nobody wants to tell and the people nobody wants to listen to, because I think I've always believed they hold the essence, they hold the key you know, if, if, if we're not hearing from them, it's probably because they're the most important people and they have the most important stories to tell, you know, and I'm supporting and, and V-Day is supporting this wonderful project, which is just about to open. I'm going to Ghana tomorrow. Mm. Now, it's a project that a wonderful poet, visionary Aja Monet has created for us. And it's the voices of black women around the world. And she got seven, 900 submissions from women all around the world and wove it together into this gorgeous sound. So I'm telling stories. I'm also supporting other women telling yes. stories because one of the great things about being an elder is that you get to then spend time supporting younger women who need energy and who need love and who need somebody at their back, you know, yes. just saying, I got you, go for it, you know? And it's, it's important, especially with the power that you have gained and you have earned to now give guidance. And, you know, it's not like you're giving a platform to someone because they already have their own power. It's just That's sharing right. what you have 
with someone else. So that is phenomenal. Yeah, it's very exciting. Exactly. And I think I think one of the things everybody needs, writers need, is you just need to have a few people in your corner. So when you go into those despairing moments, which happen quite, a, quite often, where you're like, oh my God, this is going nowhere. I'm never going to be anything. My work is terrible, blah, 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 blah. You have someone to go, not true. Okay, yes. I'm here to remind you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And how how does language evolving hinder and inform? You say something in the book about language that just, again, had my head absolutely nodding. And I'm just thinking about how when we address one another or the words that we say, you know, people can either completely ignore it or there are people saying, no, you need to understand this. How does language evolving hinder and inform? Give me an example of that, what you mean. I'm thinking about the way trans people want to be addressed. And there are people who are just absolutely like pronouns, like get real. But there are people who want to affirm themselves. And it's important to affirm people, but also there are people who are hell-bent on not understanding. Uh-huh. Yes. So how does, it, how does language evolving as it has for generations beyond us, how does it hinder yet also inform? I've been so moved and blown away by this younger generation's willingness to just open the gender box and say, let's figure out who we really are without these limitations imposed by the binaries. Like, I think it's amazing. At the same time, and I, I, I feel like I'm really, even though my brain is older and sometimes I get stuck and can't get to they as fast as I'd like mm -hmm. to, but I'm, mm -hmm. my intention is pure and honest and I want to, you know what yes. I mean? It's just my brain isn't working as fast. I also feel that for me, I want to honor what it is people need to be called and referred to as. And I want that to be reciprocal, right? So I, I identify as a woman and, and that's a very important word to me. And it, it, it's, it's a political category. And I feel that to some degree, women haven't come to exist yet, right? We're, we're not really here yet. We are easily diminished and easily erased. I've spent 25 years of my life fighting to end violence against women and all girls and all women. And that includes trans women, that includes non-binary people. But I know how easy it is for us to go back, how easy it is for us to lose abortion rights, how easy it is for us to suddenly, you know, like the piece I wrote, Disaster Patriarchy, like all you need is a pandemic and you will see girls in Africa learning their educations erased. You will see girls beginning to be cut again from female gentlemen who weren't being cut. You will see, you know, violence in the house escalate out of control because people are locked in and no one's taking care of anybody. We know we are not, we, we, we don't yet exist on safe ground women. And so for me, I really believe that women is an important political category. And, and I want, I'm claiming that. But that's not to say I don't also recognize trans women and non-binary people, and whatever category it is, people are emerging into, out of, and becoming. Like all of it works for me. I just think we have to recognize it's not either or, it's always yes and, let's include, let's add on. I mean, I remember when there was the controversy around the vagina monologues and 
people were saying that it was, you know, it was transphobic. And I was, I was, I was really concerned about that because not only had 10 years ahead of that time, trans women been doing the piece and had they done their own production of it and had I written a piece for them, but I had never written a piece saying that to be a woman, you have to have a vagina. Mm-hmm. It was never the discourse. The discourse was about women who had vaginas and what was happening to them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we we don't listen like like to what we're saying to each other. Do you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yes, I th- I think yes, it's it's affirming people and understanding that there are people who are going to who choose not to understand, but for those of us who want to affirm to make sure that we're doing the work and to honor the honor everyone because we're not a monolith. And yes, we're humans, but we're not all the same. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that we're not all the same. I think what's so beautiful, I was at a screening the other night of a of of queer animated films that were just amazing, done by teenagers. And the the gender categories and definitions and self-definitions that were coming up were just, it was art. It right. was beautiful. It was poetry. It was, it was magnificent. And and I and I I feel like, yes, let's keep evolving our understanding of who we are in all the ways we can. And let's let's not cancel each other in the process because some people are slower to catch up. Some people are trying to get it. Some people are, are, it's new for people who have older brains. Everybody's trying to, I think, let's, 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 what I try to do is give best intentions. People are trying their best. Yes. Yes. And we need, people need more grace. And I also find that as you talk about canceling people, that cancel culture is really just the joy of watching people fail. Mm -hmm. And that's what humans are. Some people are built to do. And it's just, you know, it's such a frivolous thing, but it has real consequences for the person you're trying to eliminate or make feel a certain way. And we just, we need a lot more grace. And compassion. Yes. You know, I, I think I had, the, I had the privilege of working in a correctional facility for eight years. I ran a writing group with women who were long-termers who had done violent crimes. So all of those people had essentially been canceled by our culture, right? They had been put away in prison and erased, forgotten, right? And I learned so much about who and and what all the issues people struggle with who have done crimes. And a crime is one thing they have done, but there are also multitudes inside of them, as women always talk about. We contain multitudes. And mm-hmm. And I think when we cancel people, we're basically saying like, we're better. We don't have any complexities. We don't have parts of our, we don't have shadow parts of ourselves. We don't have parts of ourselves that aren't, you know, we all do. We're human beings. We're in this process of becoming and evolving. And, you know, there are people who I can't indulge and I can't be part of, whether they're openly misogynist or predators or racist, or, you know, anti-Semitic. Or, but what I can do is try to understand what made him that way. In the same way that when I wrote the apology, and I wrote my, my father's apology, it forced me and it, it pushed me 
to try to climb into my father's head and begin to understand why he had done it, not to justify it, not to, not to say he's not accountable because the book made him completely accountable, but to understand what leads people to do what they do. Because when we have understanding, we can begin to think about solutions. We can begin to think about other ways that we might bring people up, educate people, behave on the planet, you know? Yes. With all that you've witnessed, how do you honor reflection with reckoning? Say more. I'm thinking about the stories that you tell, the brutality, the loss of humanity, the recklessness. How do you honor those stories, what you've witnessed in sharing why we need a reckoning? That's a, such a good question because what do we do with, you know, I don't know. I was thinking the other day, is there any justice really that's going to come for 400 years of slavery and that abuse? Is there any justice for killing 8 million Jews? Will there be any justice to what's happened to the Palestinians over the last years? I don't know that. I don't know if that's possible. What I do know is that grief and feeling grief and allowing myself to grieve either what's been done to me or, or, or the people I love or grieve what I as a white person, that, that legacy that I am connected to through my whiteness. Grief is a pathway and it's, it's a, it's, it, it takes you places that can bring you to reckoning. We live in a culture that is pain averse, mm-hmm. that is highly, highly medicated, highly, highly addicted, is it's driven to not feel pain. And my experience has been that pain is literally, you know, the wound is the portal. When you walk through the wound, there is a world on the other side. And that's where you can release things. That's where you can reckon with things. That's where you can easily apologize or, or receive apology. And, you know, if we really want to keep going and, and not keep recycling and repattern, you know, just repatterning and repatterning all of the trauma that's been inflicted on us that we then inflict on other people, it means facing that pain and walking through that wound. And, you know, I think, I think we're much stronger than we think. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have trigger warnings on everything when I was growing up, right? We, life is, life should have a trigger warning on it as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, life is a trigger. Okay. And I think, I think sometimes, I don't know. I, I feel like we, we, we were so afraid that we're going to be destroyed by mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. our feelings. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's in that feeling that we are released to the next evolution and the next becoming of who, who we are meant to be. And we need more practice in it. We need more groups that support people in doing that. And we need more training in it. Right. Yes. And like, you know, because I was going to ask you about content warnings. One of my fellow content contributors wrote about trigger warnings, content warnings, and is it something that we need? And this book, there are passages like I had to put the book on my chest. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of stories that get content warnings, but the stories in Reckoning are, are horrifying. But the joy, the honor, the resistance to carry on amidst brutality. It's just like you're sitting up complaining that it's cold outside. Yeah. yeah. You're sitting up complaining that, you know, you got to, you can't get your nails done. 
like get over yourselves. Yeah. But yeah. I'm also like these stories need to be read. But where we get them, we're getting a little too hung up on content warnings because I think that they can betray the fact that these stories need to be read. But I also understand that when going into something, you need you there's a way to be prepared for it because it can be triggering. So it's totally it's totally it's the two. It's the same thing with language. It's when I just asked, it's it can be a hindrance, but it can also inform. Yeah. No, I think it's it's really true. And 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 I think people I, I was just gonna get a, a t shirt that said I am a trigger, like like so that people just knew we were where we were. But I part of it is like I feel very, very, very honored that over my life I have been invited into places where a lot of people haven't gone to hear stories, to sit with women who have been through things. Most of the stories I can't even tell. Mm -hmm. I picked a few of those stories out that I could tell, mm -hmm. but most of the stories I've never told anyone because people would be too disturbed, mm -hmm. right? And 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 that that ranges across the entire world, right? And I think part of what we don't want to wake up to is there's we're we're all connected, right? Our cell phones, right? Mm -hmm. Our computers, all the cultane and all the things that go into them come, for example, from the Congo, right? That exploitation, that extraction of what is Congolese through brute force, through the military, through the gang rapes, through the raping of families, right, benefits us. So for us not to know feels really criminal, right? It feels, oh, so you don't know what the impact is of your luxury items that mm -hmm. you're buying. Mm -hmm. You don't know who's on the other end of this. You don't know what's happening you know, on the other end of it. And for me, that is irresponsible, right? You know, we need to be awake to what our actions, whether they be consuming, whether they be ignoring, whether they be whatever, whatever they're, they're doing to other people, it's critical we know. I was just on the phone with Congo this morning and, you know, we were talking about Dr. McGuege, who's such a force for amazing good in this world. How frustrated he is. He's been doing this so many years and the world has still not awakened and the M23 are back and women are being raped again and it's all happening again. And where's the world, right? Yeah. We're all complicit in this, right? We're not separate from this. And if that means you have to sit with somebody while you read the book and hold and let them be with you, then, then do that. But don't not know things, right? Right. So, that, yes, that's my next question. You have an essay in the book called Dear White Women. And I was like, I'm already here for this, for this, for this writing. How do we address one another to progress? And, what are the, and as you are calling to action, what do you ask of yourself? It's a good question. You know, I, I feel that piece really came out of just my insane, just insanity at that moment of, of watching white women support, why am I blanking on his name? I'm sorry, Justice. I call him that man. I don't, yes. I don't yes. let his name roll off my tongue. Sorry. Yes, that's <laughs> not a, a privilege that's for me. <laughs> white Justice, who had clearly raped and, and, and assaulted a woman. And, and for me, I just, I just was looking at all those white women sitting behind him, you know, cheering and laughing 
And I thought to myself, this can't be like, what is at the core of this? And and then, of course, I thought of my own mother and I thought of how many mothers, how many, how many and I'm just going to speak of white women at this moment. How many white women like stand by their man, even if their man is doing A, B, C, and D? And 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 how many white women don't stand up for their children, for black people, for LGBTQ people, for fear of whatever that patriarchal prison is that keeps them inside? And then, of course, how many are on their own thinking the same thoughts. Let's 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 be clear. There's plenty of them that are independent, autonomous agents who are fully allied with that story, that other story. I my job is to say like this is who I am. I I I came from a family who didn't stand up for me. I came up I came from a mother who turned a blind eye and ignored what was doing to me and what was being done to me and it destroyed me. I had to fight for my life. And I still fight for my life many times because I'm overcome with, you know, low self-esteem and depression and feelings that are, you know, just, they just come up like PTSD. But I think we're responsible. We're in this together, all of us. You know, I, I feel in, 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 in deepest solidarity with my African-American and African sisters around the world, as I do with my Asian sisters, as I do with my Latina sisters, and I feel I'm here to learn. I'm here to listen. I'm here to serve. I'm here to awaken. I'm here to grow. And I'm here to, to do whatever thing I can in my power to remove obstacles that keep our solidarity clean and true. That, that's what my life is dedicated to. And so there are times when I learn things about myself that are shocking that I didn't even, I go, wow, okay. Look at that perspective that you had there. Like, okay, another, there's nobody who grows up in our world who is not sexist, racist, classist. It's impossible. Everybody, every single person. So we are in a process of de, de, de-racifying, you know, race, you know, getting racism out of ourselves, getting sexism out of ourselves, getting class. That is what our journey here is about. And I'm devoted to that. And that means sometimes I'm going to fail at it. Sometimes I'm going to make mistakes at it. And I want to be corrected. And I want to be corrected as somebody who is part of this struggle, not as somebody who is a bad person who should be destroyed, right? And I try to treat other people the same way, you know. My second to last question is from Renee, who founded Feminist Book Club. And she wants to know, how has feminism grown and changed since you wrote The Vagina Model? Well, I think we've had a lot of victories since, you know, let's put it this way. We've had many individual victories, right? We couldn't say vagina when I wrote the vagina monologues, right? We couldn't say it on television. You could say penis. You couldn't say it. People say vagina everywhere now, which is is change. It's systemic change. It means your vagina exists. Your vulva exists. You, your clitoris exists. They actually are real. You can talk about them and look at them and know where they are and know how they operate. No, you know, I mean... I think violence against women, when we started this movement 25 years ago, people didn't want you talking about rape. They didn't want you talking about battery. They didn't want you talking about harassment. This is now upfront and happening and real. I can go down the list of women holding better, more positions. All those things have changed. What hasn't changed is that we haven't dismantled patriarchy. In my opinion, we are still 
living under a racist capitalist patriarchy. It is still fundamental system that is that is holding us, capturing us, leading us. And I think until that system, and we're talking system, is 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 dismantled, which means that we all come to really understand that we want to live in a world of cooperation and not domination, that we want to live where we understand that nobody gets to determine other people's reality, that a few people don't get to have all the wealth by 99% of the people starve, where we care for the earth and understand that we are the earth, that there is no separation, that the earth is kin, you know, that earth, the earth is, 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 is us. Until those systems happen, I fear we will always, all our individual rights will be on the line forever. Right. We'll always be saying, oh, my God, we just lost abortion. We just got abortion. Oh, we just men are still beating up women. Oh, now they're not. Right. And so part of what I want to see is us go for the system. Right. Like to really say, how would we? Because I think sometimes that patriarchy is at the root of, of everything, really, isn't it? Racism, capitalism, imperialism, you know, you know, hatred of, of, of LGBTQ. It's, it's, it's this, it's the father system. It's the belief that, you know, in this male domination, that, that there is a superior, there is above, there is, you know, and I think my dream, I don't know what will happen in my lifetime, but my dream is that there will be a new system that comes. And I think it's emerging. I have to believe it's emerging. I think it's fighting its way through and its day is coming. You know, I look at women like yourself, and, you know, brilliant young journalists who are like having a voice. This wasn't happening when I was growing up. That's change, you know. And it's, it's, I see so many younger women now who are empowered and have voice and who have confidence in ways we just didn't. That's change. That's real change. And it will spread and spread and spread, I hope, until it becomes collective, until it becomes systemic, until all those columns collapse. My last question for you is what bookstore would you like our audience to buy reckoning from? Independent ones. Do you want one in particular? Yeah. Uh, what's, what's a favorite of yours? Oh, I have so many. Oblong one in Rhinebeck. There's a Woodstock. God live upstate. There's a Woodstock bookstore that I love. You know, Politics and Prose. Asses. What's that wonderful one in Seattle? My brain's going. I mean, I just, I just feel like we need to support independent bookstores, because for me growing up, like walking in those bookstores and feeling the connection, just in those beautiful handwritten notes where people had picked out their favorite books, where, you know, you could touch the books, where you knew the books, it wasn't bigger than you, it wasn't so gigantic that you got lost. And, and, and those bookstores keep us writers alive. They keep us going. And I, I just can't say how strongly I feel about going to your bookstores and buying books from there and supporting anything that's independent and not where there's somebody on the other end of it who is not being treated fairly, like Amazon and, and where workers are being exploited and warehouse workers are, you know, just we look at what happened at Amazon during COVID and right. the terrible treatment of people, you know. What I know is whatever is smaller is usually better because people can see each other and care for each other. And and I live in the country and I live, you know, in the woods and, and 
I, I feel so happy when I get to go to the bookstore and just walk around and feel the books and look and, and touch. And because books are, books are so physical and sensual and little bookstores are such just yummy places where you want to be. Yes. V, thank you for joining us to talk about reckoning. This was phenomenal. I'm so honored to speak with you. Thank you. You're a wonderful question. Thank you for your thought and consideration of the book. It meant a lot to me. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Some of Us Note Cards. When Audrey started this business, she wanted to create cards that she didn't see on the market. Cards to nurture women with abundantly colorful and emotionally healing images that are a complement to self-care. You see, Audrey is an author, a professor, a single mom, and a mental health advocate. She's always found handwritten notes to be healing, and in 2022, she decided to fill her dream of being a greeting card maker. It started with a desire to capture Black life on Martha's Vineyard, and extended to include images that are important to bookish women everywhere. This small business is still grounded in her home, and every day she strives to produce and share images that are crisp, strong, and beautiful. And she partners with organizations to be sure that every card she sells, she's able to make books and bookmarks available to incarcerated women and extend the ability to write to as many women as possible. We've loved partnering with Some of Us Note Cards in the past, and you can look forward to Some of Us Note Cards in the future from Feminist Book Club as well. But be sure you go over to someofusnotes.com and follow on Instagram at someofuscards. Remember, planting seeds of self-care, growing images we can love. Some of Us Cards. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.